Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly, there is nothing that can stop you. It costs much, but it's worth the cost. It costs everything. This is the Fire Podcast. Okay, we're back with uh, part two of our conversation here with Brad McCoy. And uh, at the end of the first part of the conversation, I asked you this question. How do we, you know, because we were talking about um, how the generations need to come alongside one another. Mm-hmm. And how, how do we, especially when you're in a position um, where there are younger generations behind you, how do you come alongside them, whether it's your kids or somebody you're discipling or Gen Z or whatever, and allow them to have their own battles and not take over for them um, and, and not just fight the battle for them, but add strength? Like, how do you find that balance? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that, surprisingly. Uh, I, it's funny because uh, I want to talk about a couple of scriptures in just a second that helped me re- reshape the way I was thinking about it. But I remember, you know, probably in 2012, you know, because now there's like, you know, we've been involved in doing some stuff in the, you know, 2005 to 2010, really with a lot of street kids. Now, all of a sudden, we're working with these like young leaders, you know, and like there's people we're walking with. It's like, oh, my gosh, how do we even know these people, Right. But the question I was getting asked a lot in 2012, 2013 is, wow, seems like you're really connecting with millennials. You know, how are you connecting with millennials? And I remember I, I did this talk one time uh, to a group of leaders called Millennials Are People Too. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I, I think whenever we, we think just in terms of, um, especially in a place where the enemy wants to create gaps, um, my friend, Joey Garlington, I remember trying to explain to him, this thing was in my heart. And I was like, we're talking about like, you know, racial gaps and, and different places around political stuff. And I started talking about the, the generation gap. He's like, there is no such thing as a generation gap. And I like thought he misheard me. And so I went through another 20 minutes of explaining. He's like, yeah, there's no such thing as generation gap. And finally I was like, okay, he's trying to teach me something. And so he's, all he said is there's no such thing as generation gap. And finally 40 minutes into me explaining to him why there was, he just said, I said, what do you mean? He said, there's no such thing as generation gap, just broken family. Mm. And he's like, God always designed the, the generations to work well with each other and to serve one another. And so like that was part of, I think, you know, understanding like this is God's design. Mm. So uh, just, I think just a couple of, um, a couple of scriptural pieces that have helped. And then we'll talk to, like practically what this looked like. Uh, God is the God of a long story. 
And, you know, one of the ways that's most frequent that God introduced himself in the Old Testament is I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, um, you know, when you think about just like in the terms of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can think, you know, what happens after you know, next after Jacob is the 12 tribes. Um, and so, you know, we have this crazy story in Hebrews 11, where by faith, Joseph gave instructions concerning his bones based on a promise given to his great grandfather. And I think how many times we receive a word from the Lord and it hasn't happened in six months. We're like, Hey, I must've missed it. The word must not have been true. And like here, Joseph is giving someone instructions about what to do with his bones when God delivers them from Egypt because he knows that the God who spoke is faithful, but it didn't happen in a short context. It happened over generations. And I think that if we can understand that the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is completely able to show up in a moment and transform a life, transform a city, transform a nation, has nothing to do with his ability, his power, or even our faith. But if we understand there's something that really pleases God in the fact that he is the God that speaks a word to Abraham and then works it out over generations, um, I really believe the greatest way I can um, glorify God with the impact of my life is to have both a healthy representation of being faithful to steward this moment without losing uh, something that we talked about last night a little bit. Like when, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he, also, he t often talks about it coming in seed form. Yeah. And so I think in my life, uh, one of the passages that speaks most to me in terms of leadership is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. You know, and it goes in there, what does that look like? To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives. Uh, but then there's a, there's, a, there's a transition there. All these people who've walked in brokenness and they've walked in grief and they've walked in captivity, it says they shall be called the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I, I don't think anybody ever told me this, but it was kind of like uh, growing up and having what I was witnessing and like kingdom life, Christian life was like, I needed to build a ministry that would somehow allow me to have enough influence to make a bigger impact. And then, and then what I should do for people that I was raising up was raise them up into my vision of ministry. Right. So then my ministry could be long lasting. Um, and I actually realized from Isaiah 61 is like, man, that is shaping things around me or around the vision God's given me, but what does it look like to recognize that there's a grace of God in my life to share the good news and to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives. Like there's a role as a steward in relationships that they are called the planting of the Lord, not the planting of Brad or the planting of AOX or the planting of Southeast Asia Prayer Center or Pray America. Like, it's not about my, my thing. It's about what, what is he saying? What is he doing? And so the idea of coming along the next side, the next generation is a place of stewardship. It's a place of like, there's actually a place of my, the, the place where I can have the greatest impact for Jesus is stewarding this moment now, but also recognizing there's a seed that's getting released into this person's life that needs to be nurtured and followed through on that my goal isn't to make it like look like me. You know, we have, we have friends I was talking to a week or two ago um, you know, about the idea of like intentionally raising people up and to release them <laughs> to get, to get up and out, not to try to keep them, you know, in the house, not to try to build, build a ministry vision around the house. Uh, and I don't think there's something inherently wrong with like the idea of kind of a language of the vision of the house, but it's like, I see in scripture a lot more like the vision of family. 
And it would just be really weird if we like define success in a family is like how many kids live with you whenever you're 75, how many of your children are still living in your house, right? Like it's different to say like, man, we love to see it when, when family comes around the table. But like whenever I look at what God's doing, um, both in physical family and spiritual family, it's a good thing when people get up and get to go be who God made them to be. So I think that that place of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, multi-generational story is important. I think you and I've talked about this before, Elijah and Elisha, um, just seeing the story of at the end of Elijah's life, you know, Elisha is there and Elisha knows, like Elisha discerns, it's time for Elijah to go uh, be with God. And every place they stop at all these schools of the prophets, like they're stopping at the ministry schools and, and um, the ministry school, you know, people are coming out and saying, hey, don't you discern that like God's going to take uh, Elijah away from you. And Elijah's heart is to, point Elisha to, to set him up. He said, like, hey, let me set you up as the leader here. And, and Elisha just keeps choosing, no, I want to walk with you. Um, and in my own life, you know, I remember, uh, I remember whenever Abigail was just about 13, 14 months old, the Lord put it in our heart that we were supposed to like, commit to walking with our spiritual dad till the end of his life. And he was really uncomfortable with that. He's like, no, you follow Jesus, you don't follow me. It's like, I'm not talking about following you. I'm saying, we're committed to walk with you. And that's what we believe Jesus is asking us to do. And we were sitting in a restaurant and he was like, okay, whatever. And, you know, it kind of felt like this really awkward moment at the time. We're having, you know, I'm crying, telling him like, no, we're committed to follow Jesus with you and help you finish, help you finish well. And it was just awkward. And he came back to me a couple months ago and he said, I want you to know, like, that's in my heart too. You know, and so for me, a lot of what the rest of walking with Jim, you know, and in, in, in his life, um, that was like a, a word from the Lord. It's like, like, that was like the word from the Lord to follow, follow me by walking with him and being, you know, being with him till the end, help him, help him do the things that are in his heart to do. And uh, I think in that story of Elijah and Elisha, after that moment, I started like studying that story out. It was in the heart of the father to always be setting Elisha up for like ministry and for leadership and for influence. And it was in the heart of Elisha to keep walking. And so they get to the Jordan River and, and Elijah's like, okay, I've tried to leave you. Bethel, I tried to leave you at Jericho. You're gonna come with me. And he's like, yeah, I'm coming with you. And so maybe Elijah split the waters every time he went for a walk, I don't know. But like the times we have recorded of the water splitting was to deliver the people out of Egypt and to destroy the Egyptians. And then so the people could cross over into the promised land. We only see this miracle happening for a nation, but now we see it happening for these two friends who are taking a walk. And I really began to believe like, man, what would happen if we began to think about coming alongside of people? Like we've seen God do miraculous things. We've seen him, we've seen God answer prayers that are impossible. But a lot of times we have that in the context of this big thing, you know, what, what would we see if we begin to apply that to relationships that he's willing, God's willing to show up in miraculous ways in relationships. And if we move into a place that instead of trying to like, I don't know, for me, it was just like thinking, what can we do to position ourselves uh, in a way that's gonna help people who are coming along behind us get to be who God made them to be? And then seeing that even in the life of Jesus, like that's the other story, you know, not only did Elisha eventually receive this double portion and he finds out that, you know, he gets back to the waters and the waters part for him, you know, exactly twice as many miracles recorded in the life of Elisha as were in Elijah. And that didn't make, that didn't make Elijah less significant Elijah doesn't become a less significant person and role in scripture because someone after him did more, right? And I just think that like, 
in that conversation we were having, you know, last time when I was talking about like the thing in my daughter's life and like, Hey, you're going to do all these things. But the thing you're really on the planet for is to steward this little girl. Like, if I think about that, I could be, well, no, what about us? What about our ministry? Like, if I think like, this is really God's heart, then I just want to be faithful to that. And then somehow, even in the life of Jesus, I mean, he is the Messiah, but there's things that Jesus didn't do while he was on the earth that he waited for him to be gone. He tells his disciples, whenever I go, greater things are going to happen. And there's a place of leadership where Jesus came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give himself. And so he loves these guys and then he commissions them, gives them the Holy Spirit. And, and then they, I mean, it's not recorded that Jesus turned the world upside down, but it is recorded that these, his disciples, his followers of the way have turned the world upside down. And I think there's something about the way that we see Jesus. I mean, it's not like Peter was like full of confidence, you know, in the last few months of Jesus' life. I mean, he's moving in revelation, like, oh, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, whatever he tells him, you are the Christ, the son of God. Next thing out of Peter's mouth is, oh, don't do this. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is full of the things of man instead of the things of God. He's denying Jesus the cross. And yet God doesn't change his mind about Peter. Jesus hasn't changed his mind on Peter and Peter gets to be used to speak at Pentecost. And I just think there's a place where how we come alongside the next generation is I think seeing God, what is it you have to say about this, about this person? You know, it's not like we have some friends who are very you know, popular celebrities, very famous. We have other friends that nobody knows. Are we willing to see the image of God for the, the A-lister and for the D-lister, you know, the same, or, or, or is there something in us that's like, wow, I, you know, I know so-and-so and they, you know, look to me as their pastor. Like, that's gross. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's gross. I, my, my influence in the kingdom is not connected to the, the sum of my social media followers or the sum of the people that are, that we're relating to their followers, right? It's just like, can we be faithful with the people that, that God has entrusted for us to walk with? Can we, can we befriend faithfulness? Can we befriend people and see the image of God in them? And then I help them identify what is the thing that's in your heart to do? And you know, going back to that question, if David Wade would have decided like, hey, I need to go be an author and not plan a church, like how do we help him follow Jesus, live out the gospel by being an author? You know, if, if someone says, hey, I remember the conversation, someone's like, hey, like, can I be a kingdom architect? You talk about kingdom musicians, but like, can I be a kingdom architect? Can I, it's like, yes, if that's what's in your heart to do, then be faithful and follow Jesus in the midst of doing that. Instead of saying, you know, we had a conversation, you know, just kind of, uh, earlier last week about like fivefold ministry. If we think everybody has to fit with one of these fivefold gifts, like it's really limiting, you know, like, okay, what's the personality type of this person? Or, you know, like God's more creative to, than that. And he's create, created us uniquely. And so for me to want to see like what's happening in this person's life. And I think that's regardless of, I mean, obviously my daughter and the people that we would look at with people we've been called to disciple. But I think even the way that we interact with friends and brothers and sisters or strangers, like if I can acknowledge the image of God in someone and then like, what can I do in whatever measure of like relationship I have with them, of whatever measure of faith I have to operate in with them, how can I like point them to Jesus and in line with that, like help them get into the thing that God's created them for. Um, I think that has been one of the biggest joys is like it takes a burden off of our shoulders to make ministry happen. And it also allows us to be in a place where I look now and I think, man, if I would have tried in 2010, 2011, whenever there's a swirl of things happening around us to harness that and to build a church ministry that looked like something that I'd seen someplace else, 
I'm sure that would have had good fruit to it, but I think it would have looked like, okay, we built this thing and some people stayed and some people didn't. And, but our, our, our influence would have been to call people to serve our vision and to serve our expression instead of helping people find what is God speaking to you for your life and how do we try to come alongside to see that happen? I don't know if that makes sense or not, or answers your question, but I think that's the thing for me that resonates in my heart is like, God's always been a multi-generational God. He shows up in ways that he wants to see increase in the next generation. And then when I see it in the life of Jesus, I'm like, I've got no reason to try to build something that's based around my, like my legacy is not my ministry. <laughs> like, you know, in a way, like my, my legacy is like, can I be faithful with the relationships that God's entrusted to us to make sure those people are pointed to Jesus and get to be free to be who God made them to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, yeah, that's, that's all really good. And I, I, even more specifically with, um, so I'll give, I'll give a example in the biblical thought, um, with people who are in the, in the position, you know, like you're helping that are in a, I almost don't like the generational language because it's like it mm-hmm. gives certain connotations, but some of your discipling or, or parenting your child yeah. or something like that. Um, I, I had somebody I was like really praying for certain things that were going on in their life and God stopped me and said, you know, if these things are removed, they have no need of me. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like kind of that place where it was like I was trying to almost in, fight the battle in prayer to remove their circumstances, but he was trying to do something deeper. Yeah. And you mentioned Peter and I actually, as you were talking about Elijah, I thought about Peter. So I'm glad you brought Peter up. You know, Peter, there's this, people always draw this correlation, but Jesus, you know, Peter's like, basically I'll go, I'll go die with you. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, well, actually you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He denies Jesus three times. He's devastated. And then, you know, you've got the scene of Jesus, resurrected Jesus, restoring him over the fire, asking him three times, Peter, do you love me? But I was like really considering that a couple weeks ago and talking over with uh, with the Lewises and stuff and just that, that thought and like how beautiful that actually is because that also, um, you know, one of the things that he said over Peter is the enemy's asked to sift you like wheat. Yeah. And he said, but I've prayed for you. Yeah. And it's this beautiful picture of, because I always thought that meant the enemy's asked to take you out, but I, I've prayed for you, so it's not going to happen. But then like when I really got it into that, actually Sierra said something that I was like, I don't know if that's biblical. And then I started looking into it. I was like, oh, it is. Like the, the sifting is just removing the hard outer shell so that the only valuable part of the wheat can be used. And so he's like, actually, like the enemies tried to remove you, but I'm actually going to use this to form you, yeah. is what Jesus is saying. Peter, Peter denies Jesus three times yeah. and prideful. Like we see, we see kind of the youthful pride and the personality of Peter and the lack of mercy in Peter yeah. and all these things. And it's like God allowed this, this situation of him denying three times to crush him to the place that that hard outer shell is gone. And then he restores him and he restores him to the place of, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Yeah. And he like, it was, it was as if that without that, that situation happening, Peter couldn't have, he couldn't have loved people and had the mercy he needed to, to work with the people of God until he had that experience of, of receiving mercy and in that place of Jesus restoring him and he received the mercy of God. And so I just think like, how can, can you speak to that at all? Like, navigating that and those times when it's like i actually can't step in and fix this for you like he could have said peter you're going to be tempted to to deny me three times don't do it 
Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he could have stopped him from that, but it actually would take him out of the process of him. Oh man. Yeah. Well, first, first of all, I think it's incredible because Peter makes that claim like Jesus, I'll, I'll die with you. Yeah. Right. And Jesus says that, but like, what did Peter end up doing? Dying, dying with him. Mm-hmm. In fact, like, Hey, crucify me upside down because I don't, I'm not worthy, yeah. but it was not one or the other. Right. I don't know if you remember this. I just started laughing because I know I was on the edge of crying. But like one of our first times that you came and visited us in Grove City, we were having this conversation about everything God was getting ready to do in your life. And I'm starting to talk to you. And I was like, Ryan, like this, this had to be like spring of 2011, like March of 2011. So fresh, yeah. And, you know, so just a few months after you, like we've met and, I've been and you're like, yeah, point. you're homeless. And you're <laughs> now, this, is, this is the same conversation. You're like, I'm getting ready to start my 501c3 and it's my board. And, and I'm like, Ryan, there's like a process. And, and you're like, no, like, and I remember saying, hey, who's your favorite Bible character? And I went around the room and like every, almost like every person we could think of in scripture had this journey they walked through. And it wasn't because God didn't love them. And I remember you looking at me like, no, like the Lord said this. I'm like, no, but God, yes, he did. God said that David was going to be king. And then he allowed him to walk through these next 20 years of getting ready for him to be king. Yeah. You know, like Daniel didn't face the fire because God wasn't with him. Daniel faced the fire as a part of God making him ready to rule and to reign. Joseph was in the pit. Joseph was in prison. Joseph was at Potiphar's and Joseph was being prepared all all along. The Lord was with Joseph. And so I think it's really beautiful to talk about Peter that way because we recognize in our own lives. So when I think about this, uh, I recognize in trying to write a book for you and David, like there's two different groups of people who read that book, people like you and David, and then also people who were more in a position where I was at. Like I was like learning how to like walk with people and disciple people. And I think I've had conversations with pastors and denominational leaders who have been like, man, we've kind of had this backwards. You know, we're trying to define leadership by who has the right degree that we can qualify to lead in our denomination instead of like, who's been with Jesus, you know? And so like the fact that Peter had been with Jesus walked through all that stuff, but he walked through it. You know, he walked through it. And when Jesus is restoring him, and I just want to just like, man, how beautiful it is when Jesus restores us, we're restored. And I can go back and find that story now, but I don't think about Peter as the one who denies Jesus. I think about Peter as the one who gave his life for decades, seeing the gospel spread. Is that God? <laughs> no idea what that was. Um, so I think like with, with, biblical, with that biblical example you mentioned with Peter, it is important to recognize every part of the process. Uh, Banning Leapshire said to me one time, he said, like, like the danger of trying to empower, you know, people that you've just met to go, like we were like, you know, doing these weekend trainings and commissioning them. And he's like, hey, I think that's good. He said, but you have to remember, Jesus didn't commission people after a day. He invited people to come share life with him. And it was out of that place of sharing life with him and loving them. You know, like these guys didn't even know who he was yet. And he's inviting them to be with them. He's, then he's sending them out to go preach the message. And they're still in the process of figuring that out. But there was something so transformative about living with Jesus and walking with Jesus and sharing meals with Jesus. I think it's, I think it's almost comical that there's times whenever we see like, you know, in the, in the message where Jesus is like, Hey, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know, people are taking off and he turns and he looks at the disciples. Are you guys leaving too? And Peter's like, 
where else can we go? Yeah. But there's these places where he's speaking in parables and the disciples are, they don't know what he's talking about either. But when Jesus speaks to them, he says like, Hey, to you, it's been given the mysteries to know like everybody else. They, they don't really know exactly what I'm talking about, but to you it is. And so we see this process of walking with people where we're actually sharing life with people. And I think that it's important to remember that part of Peter's story because the ability for Jesus to speak to Peter at the end of the three years and say, Hey, as a matter of fact, you're going to deny me three times. Like that wasn't on the first week they met. Yeah. And I think that's important. There's a thing that happens as we are forming relationships that gets us ready for those kind of epic moments that if those things were to happen the first week, Peter probably is peacing out. He's gone. Right. Um, I will say, and I was taught in leadership to identify the people you can get the, have the most potential to invest in them. And it's pretty obviously that's not what Jesus did. And in the message of like, you know, leaving the 99 to go after the one, like we see that in the story of Peter, like Jesus, like went to this one who denied him and said, no, like you have purpose, you have meaning. And just because you had a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad year, you know, and we see in our culture right now, there's a whole bunch of prodigals that are getting ready to come home. And I think that the position of coming alongside of people, that there's a, there's a real sense of love for God, a call of God on their life, but they need to be restored. And what Jesus does in restoring Peter over the fire, like, you know, yeah, it was a prophetic moment between Jesus, the Messiah, and Peter, but there's something we can learn from, from the one that we've been called to follow in that. You know, so you have that moment of restoration and then you see the out the outflow of Peter's life and the way that he ends up. It's so just so ironic, right? Like, hey, I'll die with you. Well, he actually does. So Jesus wasn't arguing with him and like saying, no, you're not going to make it. He was letting him know the thing that was gonna, he was going to struggle with and face. And so I love that picture, the way that you're talking about the sifting. Because when we face that type of adversity, so often we think, what did we do wrong? Right? And I think that one way that we can practically come alongside people is to be that voice that like says, no, God's faithful, God's constant. And just because you're experiencing this doesn't mean like the, the hand of God is off of you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. You know, like God's not trying to break your arms. Yeah. Um, he's not trying to take your legs out from under you. He's, he's a good father who is like, if there's, if there's places where he's trying to correct you, he'll do that in love and then he'll correct you and restore you. You know, and I think that that's, that's a real practical place of um, being humble to allow someone to experience the, the stuff that they're walking through and not trying to, you, you, the question coming back, like the times whenever we don't move in, Jesus did not prevent Peter from denying him. Yeah. And I think there's times we're afraid that if someone makes a mistake, that there's no coming back. Um, but I think that especially in the, uh, with the things that are facing, uh, facing us right now, the current issues, it's not a new thing, right? It's right now, it's these days, you know, the movement's called deconstruction. Like, I'm not ever encouraging people to, like, be, be careless with their faith. But when people have honest questions about what's going on, one of the best things we can do is encourage them to dig deep into what's honestly going on, right? And, like, if we can point them, again, point them to the person of Jesus, uh, I think that's a real practical way of, like, not trying to prevent but to be present. Yeah. You know, we tell couples in marriage counseling, we're not thinking that if you go through these six or seven sessions with us in marriage counseling that you're going to have the perfect marriage. We don't even think it's going to prevent problems, but what we want to do is position ourselves to be present so that you can be prepared going in and we can be present. So whenever things do come up, we can come back and have those conversations. And I think that's important if someone really has a heart to come alongside again, 
And, and Ryan, I just want to say, like, I think that I, I understand the dynamic of like, we don't want this to feel hierarchical and like, these are my spiritual children or these are all these different things. But there's a place in scripture where we understand our responsibility in disciple making. Yeah. We understand our responsibility in parenting. We would understand our responsibility in whatever form of leadership that we're in. And that is not to dominate. That's not to control. Um, that's to love and to serve. That's to raise up and to empower. And so I think that as long as we come back, like we can, we can be confident to, to, to walk in those areas as long as we're coming with the, with the heart of Jesus. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who humbled himself. And so I think that, um, yeah, I'll just say this, like it's a practical humbling moment for me. There's this Wednesday morning I woke up early. Um, it was one of the few times in our life when no one was living in our guest rooms. And, and so I woke up early. I used to keep like some of my clothes in that guest room so I wouldn't wake Adrian up whenever I was getting up early. And I walked in, I was just, you know, still waking up. I wasn't really praying. I wasn't trying to have this like moment with God. And I went in to pick up my shirt for the, for the day. And the Lord was just like, you know, if you really follow me into leading, people are going to think you're a bad leader. <laughs> you know, I was like, good morning to you too. You're like, like yeah. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? And he just began to speak to me about the way that Jesus led, how differently that looks from the way that our current culture evaluates leadership. And he's like, if you move in a place of humility and servanthood and you don't like create a place that like tries to prevent every bad problem from happening or only allow your vision to, to be the thing that moves, people are gonna think you're a bad leader. And even some of the people that you love the most and that love you the most are gonna think you're a bad leader. And it was just like this choice of like, you can either choose respectability or you can choose to follow me. And I, and I think that uh, to, to try to bring that back to your question, I think that, like the way that we live that out in each one of those individual relationships, when someone's walking through that place, you know, and they're walking through that Peter moment, when someone's walking in a place and they're just, they don't need another savior. They don't need another Holy Spirit. But if there's someone who can come alongside them, commit to them and help them get into that next place, it's like some of those people that you're giving yourself for may even not appreciate that, that you're doing it. They may resent it, but that's okay. You know, if we're moving in love and if we're moving in a place of like helping that person see Jesus, you know, helping that person get further along than who God made them to be, like it's really, and I don't, like when I say it right now, that can sound like noble, but I think in the moment it's just like, am I willing to move in love? Yeah. You know, and it's like, do I, am I willing to love Jesus and love this person enough that even if it hurts right now in this moment, this actually is what's going to allow the, the longest fruit or like the greatest amount of fruit for Jesus in the, in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I just think of my kids and stuff like there's moments like I, I want to step in, you know, and I know I can't like if they're going to fall off something and break their head open, then I'm going to step in. But there's times even they're doing something. I'm like, they're probably going to fall. They're probably going to cry, but they'll be okay. And recognize and they'll be okay. And this will be a lesson and then they won't do it again, you know? And so pick, pick in the moments, right? Like you recognize, Hey, what are the, what are the places where this can happen? And it's going to be a good opportunity to learn and grow. That happened in my life with Jim, right? I, I, I know that, uh, I'm so glad that you get to know him, you know, and he got to speak into your life. That's probably one of the, that, that season of life was so sweet because it was multi-generational. Um, but I think that I look back and one of the things that really moved me from a vision centered life to a following Jesus centered life was, I remember Jim, asking me at one point in time we were leading a ministry in Elwood City and you know uh, signs and wonders were happening we were growing I was being asked to come speak all these different places I was on the newspaper and the radio and I kind of thought wow I'm on the edge of building something great for God you know uh, 
we named our, I remember driving down the road and we thinking, well, what's the name of our ministry going to be? And we called it Servant Heart International Alliance. I told Adrian, we have to have international in this because it's going to make a worldwide impact, right? And I think there was something really like good in my heart, like that wanted to impact the world for Jesus. And there was also something that just didn't understand the ways of the cross. They didn't understand the ways of Jesus. But in the midst of that time, Jim said, hey, would you come be like uh, a worship leader and like help with the youth at this church and that be your job for the next two years? And I remember like, oh, thank you, Jim. But I have this calling on my life, you know? And it's like, there's very few things I regret in life. And God ended up working it, working it out anyway. Jim did not move away from me in relationship. But he was inviting me to come spend more time with him, walk with him. He, he saw all the places where like every step of the way, we're like, this is God and we don't know how to do this. And he was saying, come do this with me. But yet he let us kind of quote unquote, make that mistake. And it, he was present for us when we lost everything. You know, we ended up homeless. He didn't run away from us. He stayed present with us in that moment. And like, as we were healing up from that, like, I remember saying to him, I was like, he's like, what are we going to do for, what's next? Like, there's a call of God in your life. What's next? And I was like, can we just do this together? You know, I don't, I don't want to start another thing. And for the next like three or four years, there was no organization name. We just walked together, shared the gospel, loved people. And it was transformative. But I think that's a good picture in my life of a time whenever like he was inviting me into something that would have been better. We, I couldn't see it because of my own ambition but he didn't move away. He stayed present. That's so key. He stayed present. He didn't often like, just like whenever we had financial needs, he didn't often like, just like give us a bunch of money. But I look back and I see like Jim would often um, leverage his influence to have people invite us into things where we would get financial blessing. Like you know, people would say, Hey, you should have Brad come lead worship for this retreat, or you should have Brad come speak, or even some of the work things I was doing, like were things that he helped. And that was really fathering at me. Like I didn't need someone just give me money. Yeah. He helped me grow up. He helped me learn how to grow up. And I'm so grateful uh, to see how, how receiving that in our life was a gift that allowed us to move out of a building our ministry and to seeing the family of Jesus be <laughs> like grow and be expanded. And it just like was transformative. Hmm. Yeah, there's two, you know, because I think you do discipleship better than basically anybody I've seen. Um, and just the, the way you even talk about discipleship and stuff. I, and so I want to point out, like, I think there's two two big keys there. Um, there is the fact that uh, I think a lot of times what I've seen and even mistakes I've made discipling people, it's like you say something and then if they don't take you up on it, you kind of like you keep the distance to let them feel it. You know, and it's not it's not healthy, but most church leaders have done that at some point. You yeah. know, like or or just believers have done that to somebody in their life at some point. And there's something about still being present, still still being in it with with the person you're you're discipling or fathering, mothering, whatever it is. Um uh and I just blanked on the other one. There's something else you said there. Um I don't know. But I, I think that's really that's a really big key to point out is because I, I I just I know that, that and that's happened to me. I've seen people kind of have that whole well, you're gonna have to go around the mountain again. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's almost like you're gonna have to pay this price now because you didn't listen to me. And, and the truth is, they may have to go around the mountain again. But it's different whenever you're saying you're gonna have to go around the mountain again versus let's walk around this mountain again. Right? 
is such a different thing. And, and um, I think that one of the things I learned, I also learned uh, from Jim was he was around during the shepherding movement. And I think that people are so aware of like the, um, let's say the downfall of whenever that becomes a controlling thing, right? We like make no one, like people who love Jesus are not like, yeah, I want to be controlling and manipulative. I want to, like, that's not what they're thinking. But some of the constructs that we have about leadership will kind of lead us to that spot. So what we try to do then is like, we try to react against that. And I think that's how we end up in those moments. Like we give counsel or we recommend something to someone, they don't do it because we don't want to be controlling. Yeah. It's easy to step back and think that we're being empowering, you know? But I think that like the difference is like, if we stay present, even allowing somebody else to choose something that we don't think is best. You know, there's times, again, if someone's getting, if my daughter's going to put her hand in the fire and get burned, that's probably not, not the time I'm going to be like, oh, we'll see how this goes, right? Um, but, like, if there's going to be a place where she's going to grow and stretch, like, I've got to let her make mistakes sometimes. I have to let her have those places um, sometimes. And so I think staying present, you know, and we know that we have that with the Holy Spirit in our life. We have that um, with God. And so I think when we get a chance to um, model that with people, you know, and for people, like, it's really, it's really powerful. Yeah. The other key I, I just remembered is I, I think because you said the thing about if if you're 70 and your kids are still in your house, that's not something to be proud of, you know. Um, and I think it's really another key to discipleship. Just to point this out is is uh, you're growing them in in dependency on Jesus, not you. You know, it's so like in the early days, they might be more dependent or like in that case with Jim, it would be really easy for him to just keep giving you money and help yeah. kind of take care of you to, you know, and, and create dependency. But he's like, no, you actually like, there's a process here that you need to go through and stuff. And it just understanding that like, people need to outgrow you. Like and that's, that's part of it. And you, it doesn't mean you're not going to be present anymore. It means your role changes. And like, obviously the maturity in Christianity is the more dependent you are on Jesus, but the maturity in discipleship is, is it's the same thing. How dependent are you on Jesus? Not me. Like I need to, you need to out, outgrow me or grow past where I'm, I'm having to manage every part of your life from being in it with you like that. Like if my kids, you know, when they're, they're 40 are still coming to me asking every right. time they want to do something, like, can I go outside? It's like, right, you're right. 40 years old. You should That's know. Right. That means I failed. That's right. You know? And I think that if we can allow this to impact the way we think about following Jesus, it's really important because, um, it's important for me to say we never outgrow obedience, right? So sometimes God's going to say do this, right? Move here, get this job. But in the same way, whenever my daughter was young, like we, like I had to take a lot of responsibility for Abby, go get dressed. Like, I, I can't tell you the last time I had to tell her what clothes to pick out. You know, we'd celebrated moments. Like, you know, when we're potty training, we're celebrating those moments. We don't give M&Ms out for successful trips to the bathroom anymore. Right? That's not <laughs> how it goes. And I think in some ways there are believers who God spoke to them in a way that was appropriate whenever they were new in their journey. And now that they're more mature, he's actually wanting to see, like, the, I think the goal of obedience, like Christ, uh, Christ grew through obedience. Like if Jesus had to do that, right? Through the things he suffered, right? He's growing in obedience through the things he's suffering. The goal of obedience is to develop Christ like character inside of us. And so when we come to these major decisions we're trying to pray, sometimes like, I'm not hearing the Lord. What's well, because we're expecting him to speak to us like he did when we were toddlers. Mm. We're expecting him to speak to us, do this. And he's saying, no, like, 
My spirit's inside of you. And he's actually empowering us to make decisions. And again, we never outgrow obedience when we, he does speak clearly. Yes. I don't want to, you know, I, I pray, uh, I don't want you to have to shout. I want to hear your faintest whispers, but there's sometimes whenever in me being still, he's actually saying, no, I want to hear from you. What's in your heart. It wasn't, it was not that God commanded David to build the, the temple, but Solomon said, but it was in the heart of my father, David. There was, it wasn't a command. It was this thing that was there. It was a desire that was there that grew out of that place. And so I think that that's part of in seeing like the time when in discipleship, it's very, very important. You, you nailed it, man. We can either make people dependent upon us or we can point people to Jesus. And when we point people to Jesus, there may be times early on in that development um, where we have to take a little bit you know, more responsibility and like help someone discern. But, um, and man, is it so much more uh, immediately, like the immediacy of being like, oh, wow, Brad, that's so wise. Thank you so much for telling me this. Wow, that word that you gave me was so good. That can feel really good in the moment. But like, if I can get people um, seeking the Lord, if I can point people, I don't want to say get people seeking the Lord. If I can tell people, hey, have you talked to Jesus about this? You know, let's, let's seek the Lord together. Let's pray about this together and find out what he has to say. First of all, it's really beautiful to, for me that like, as people do that, like it's always like what I have is a part, right? We know in part, we prophesy in part. But when we've been to seek the Lord together and God begins to speak, it's always way better than the best of my counsel, right? Like when we really are doing that. Um, but it's now increasing the dependency on that person, you know? And I think that we, we've lived in a culture where like we want people to manage our spiritual lives. We look for leaders to manage our spiritual lives. And the problem with that is that it's, it's great when leaders lead well. It's great when leaders lead well with vision, um, but there's so many people they've been in church for decades and they don't feel empowered to know how to manage and, and steward their own connection with God. Yeah. And I don't think that pleases him. I don't think that pleases him. Like if, if, if the people in our churches are dependent upon our next sermon series to make it through the, through the next season, um, we've not done discipleship well. That doesn't mean that the next sermon series isn't going to be impactful and be a part of that journey, but we have to get it where people are really, you know, radically stewarding the responsibility for their own faith. Um, and that comes through discipleship. That comes because we're pointing them to Jesus, not saying, hey, check out my new article, check out my new book, check out my latest podcast. Those things are all good, but all those things should be helping us point people to Jesus, right? There's, there's one who's worthy for people to walk with, and it's not Brad, you know? That's good. Um, I would like to talk a little bit more about Jim. Yeah, um, yeah. We've referred to Jim as your spiritual father, the rapping gran- grandpa or whatever we call him. <laughs> the, uh, you know, and, and we've called him Jim, but let's, let's tell some stories about, about Jim. And, and, you know, he's referred to as an apostle and did stuff in the Philippines and just, he's such a fascinating person. And obviously he's in heaven. If, if the listeners haven't realized that yet, he's, He's not with us anymore, but yeah, um, I'm, I first met Jim, uh, in 2002, shortly after I moved from North Carolina to Pennsylvania and, um, someone met me and they heard this vision that I had in my heart and they're like, you have to meet with Jim. He's the apostle of the area. And, and I was like, Oh, that sounds a little bit creepy. And so when I met with Jim, he's like, that sounds a little bit creepy. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Um, but it was really, it was great. I'm so thankful for the friend who connected us. And um, Jim, yeah, he was, had walked in kind of all those areas in the fivefold. He had, you know, been uh, an evangelist within the Methodist church and, you know, been a missionary to the Philippines. He had been 
uh, a really powerful prophetic voice in both Japan and Mexico. It traveled internationally, but specifically in Japan and Mexico, just like really functioned high level prophetic stuff. And so people would call him a prophet. Um, oversaw a network that sent out tons of church planters, covered missionaries, had an apostolic grace on his life, you know, uh, but functioned as a pastor, um, you know, wrote books and functioned as a teacher. But at the end of all that stuff, Jim would always talk about like how he'd always meet someone who was more of an apostle or more of a prophet, you know, and he just like, you know, when he was getting older in life, he said, so God, what am I? And God said, you're a son, you know? And so I met Jim, uh, not as he was deconstructing his faith, but in some ways he had been deconstructing what ministry would look like. And one of the things that he, I remember him teaching me early on in my relationship with him, um, he had gone through what he described as a dark night of his soul, really trying to discern, God, what is your purpose in my life? And, and he began to just live out of the one thing prayer and realizing that the greatest purpose for Jim in his life was that he would seek the Lord. And he would minister to the Lord. And if he never ministered to anyone else. And so I, here I come, you know, 27, 28 years old, full of vision, you know, going to see churches planted all over Western Pennsylvania. And I'm just ready to, you know, I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. And Jim would just say, it's not about your ministry. It's all about Jesus now. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's not about, it's not about your ministry and he would both love me and affirm me and make room for me and, and, and share time with me, spend time with me and say, it's not about your ministry. It's not about your vision. It's about, and it probably took like 50 times. At, at that point in time, Ryan, I was connecting with some of God's generals. You know, I was like, had their phone numbers and I would like go to these gatherings and be invited to these ex ex kind of exclusive things. And, and Jim would say, uh, it's not about your contact list. It's about Jesus. It's not about who you, it's not about who's, uh, you know, who you're gaining influence with. It's about Jesus. And finally, one day I was, I kept, I kept dropping these names, hoping that would, you know, I, I mean, I look back at it. I was like dropping these names, hoping to move up the ladder of significance with him. I mean, he had a lot of people that looked, you know, looked to him for leadership and, you know, I'm like this young buck, you know, recognize there's something that God's doing in our lives, but also just trying to still, still trying to figure out how do I climb the ladder so I can do something important for Jesus. You know, I think the end goal was good. I think the, the ways I was going about it was really broken. And finally, Jim said, come here. And he took me into his office and he pulled out this stack of like letters from like people over the last four or five decades, pictures and photos with him, with, you know, leaders of, of the body of Christ. And he's like, hey, you're not going to impress me with who you know. <laughs> you know you're not going to, you're not going to drop enough names. But like, if you want to follow Jesus together and... I just think that, you know, who he became whenever, when we were really beginning to run together, I, I said part of the story, we felt like we were supposed to commit to help him finish well. He had this word that he'd received from a, a prophet that was you know, widely recognized about um, that he would take his mountains when he was 80. And so I, I met him when he was like 71 or 72, you know, and so this, that part of the story probably happens like 75 or something. So I'm like, all right, Jim, we're, we're with you in, um, Jim came to me as we began to have a vision for, you know, what was happening with AOX and Grove City. And, and Jim came to me and he said, hey, we've seen crazy miracles. I mean, the, the, the Jesus movement, they would have thousands, tens of thousands of people show up on this farm. Mm -hmm. 
And Jim was a major local leader in that. Jim had a barn ministry that like hundreds and hundreds of people from our region came to Jesus through the Jesus movement at, at this barn ministry that he was overseeing and leading. And we would travel to Texas or I'd be in New England. People like, oh, you're Jim Herb. I remember coming to the barn whenever I was 18 and wow. people driving for eight or 10 hours on a Thursday after college class. We met these brothers who drove from Philadelphia to go to Mercer, Pennsylvania because God was doing something. There's no Facebook, there's no internet, there's nothing to advertise. It's just people were being drawn. Major moves of God happening. And he came to me and he said, we had all this strategy, but we never had a strategy to disciple and equip people. And he looked at us and he said, we're in. And, and he and Jan just like gave the last years of their life in such a great way of like becoming. He said, hey, I'm gonna become a grandpa. And so most people in our spiritual family refer to him as Grandpa Jim. And they made him want to know his last name because he was willing to be in a place where he became a grandpa who would give hugs and listen to people. And he would ask people questions. Hey, hey, Ryan, what, what's going on in your life? And he'd listen. And he'd hear from the Lord and he'd speak words over people. And he never did it as like this prophet pounding his chest. He didn't do it as the apostle demanding your tithe. He just did it as like someone who was like in love with Jesus. And he believed the stuff that we're talking about. And he believed that. And he finally came. And the reason I said all that is like, hey, these so our vision was disciple, equip, and release sons and daughters of God to go impact every sphere of society. We talked about take them going and taking the mountains. And he came to me a few years before he got sick, and he said, you know, I think my mountains, you know, my word was I would take my mountains at 80. I think my mountains are the mountains we're sending these kids into. And I was like, man, like what a humble heart to take this word he could have used to build his own thing, but instead leveraged he leveraged you know, his influence in the region. He leveraged his influence across the body of Christ to help us accelerate, you know, to help us have momentum. Um, but I just, I love, and what are the things you remember about him? I mean, that's, that's probably important for people to hear. What are the things that you remember? Yeah, I, I think I've probably talked about him on the podcast before, just referring to him as my spiritual grandpa. Because he, um, I mean that at the nuns convent at the burning bush, <laughs> you know, he was there. He, he wrapped, did the fish in the net wrap. He, he came up with, which was hilarious. He would travel around to churches after that and ask somebody to give him, get on the drums and he would start rapping. It was so funny. <laughs> I just, yeah. And he'd always have his, uh, was that a Steelers hat? Yep. He had a Steelers hat. He always had his, his yellow hat on. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I remember, I remember him specifically prophesying over me and, saying stuff that I didn't understand. Um, but he said, you'll get in time. And I asked him a bunch of questions and he just like, he cared about me in a way. I don't, I don't think to that point I had any, anybody like you and I hadn't even connected at that point, but even that moment of him just sitting with me talking and stuff, mm-hmm. um, was really impactful. I hadn't had anybody care for me like that. And then, um, yeah, I, I remember, um, the way he would introduce me to people. Uh, he'd make up testimonies, <laughs> you know, like I remember when he would introduce me being like, he's seen three people raised from the dead and you know, he, or he'd say different things that I've said about my devotion to God. And he'd be like, he's one of the most committed to God. And he told me this the other day and I was like, I didn't say that, but that's really good. <laughs> I'm going to apply that now. Um, I, I realized too, like there's something I said this at church, but like, there's something about fathers, um, with, with my, with my son, especially it's, it's been different than the two girls, but with my son, I've noticed like he always looks to see if I'm looking 
and like just him him seeing that I see is important um my affirmation of him is important my affection towards him is important like all those things are important and it like it light he lights up when those things are present when, with Jim I realized that part of having a spiritual grandpa and like what that looks like is having somebody that believes way more about you than you could ever believe and I remember uh there were two times I got to see him when he was sick and both times I just went there to pray for him and get some yeah. time with him and both times he said things to me that I was like you I, I don't struggle with having uh, a low view of myself, you know, like not, not even a prideful, hopefully not a prideful way now, but like God's kind of worked out a lot of the pride of that, but I'm very confident in who I am. I, I'm, I'm comfortable in who I am. I'm not, as far as I know, not trying to be somebody else. Um, and I believe in what I'm called to do and I believe in what God's going to use my life for. Uh, and he believes way more than that. <laughs> you know, like he would say things and I'm like, oh my goodness, like I don't, you know, I don't know how I'm ever going to, not that I didn't even, and there wasn't even pressure to like live up to this or anything like yeah. that, but it was just like, wow, then that must be true. Yeah. Like, there's something about the, 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 the belief of a grandpa, you know, yeah. that I, and I didn't really have that. Like actually my, I was talking to my mom on the way here to record this, like sending her some voice messages. Cause I've had a couple of dreams recently about my, he's technically a step grandfather, but, uh, and not really knowing why, not knowing what God's bringing up with that, because I never had a true like grandfather experience, you know. And uh, but Jim was that, you know, and getting to see that part of him, so that was really profound. Um, and I just remember the way he believed in us. Everywhere we went, he would introduce us and you know give us a, a moment to speak or something. Yep. And I remember going to the pastoral retreat with like Charles Stock and uh, Eric Smith. Yep. Um, and he brought David and I along with you guys. And it was just like, it was stuff like that, that he always like, he always made sure we had a place at the table and always made sure we, we belonged. Um, and we were with people that we should have never been in the room with, you know, but he was making room for that because he believed in us. And I think one of the things I learned with him in that season is we were trying to navigate it together. Um, Cause he was actually at Charles Stock's church and he was kind of wrestling through this transitional season for him and Charles called him out and said, oh, I want to have Jim and Jan Herb stand up. They were great. Uh, they were a great spiritual father and mother in this region, you know, uh, during the Jesus movement. And we just want to honor the thing that they've seen happen in revival and see the, thing, the miracles they've seen happen over the course of their life. And I have a word for you. And like God says, in the same way that you were a spiritual father and mother now, you'll become a spiritual grandfather and grandmother. And like even just talking to Sierra a couple days ago, she's saying like, oh yeah, keep, still keep up with Jan. And, you know, Adrian and Abby were just over, I have pictures of, you know, them with Jan. And, you know, Jim, Jim went to heaven a few years ago and it was, it was hard. But like in the midst of that, that was like the place that for me, whenever I was out seeking the Lord, because I realized, man, for a long time in my life, kind of the operating word from the Lord was like, okay, you're going to help Jim finish well. And then I was like, we're getting ready for his funeral. And I woke up the morning of his funeral and I'm, I was had a part in that. And um, I woke up and I'm praying and Jim... Jim's one of his favorite songs from the, the 70s was Nancy Honeytree's Pioneer that Rick Pino did later. Um, and so I'd put together a video of the Pioneer song. And, you know, I just wept because I realized, like, God had allowed me to, to partner with a pioneer. Um, but I realized, you know, as we began, I said, God, like, this was the word. Like, help him finish well. What's next? 
you know, and I think that some of the places that we're walking into even now, I mean, the last several years since he's gone to be with the Lord is like, we're still in this transitional place. The Lord's spoken to us about the next, even through the next couple of years about intentionally moving into a place of, if I got was saying to move early into a place of grandparenting, because I mean, first of all, I think whenever I watch my wife light up, uh, when we go places where we've, um, you know, we go places with people that we've had an opportunity to walk with, you know, and like, we're grateful for you and Milka, like you don't belong to us, right? But we, like whenever you say, hey, this is a spiritual father and a friend, like we're like, yes, this is who we are. Like, you know, it's like we, we understand that place of like connection. And when I feel like for Adrian, she just feels this grace to be able to pick up your, your baby and walk around with your baby. But she also feels a grace in the spirit to be able to go into a place where we know we have committed relationships and we get to be ourselves. And we get to say, okay, what does it look like now to like serve in a different way than it has been in the last several years? But so I'm so grateful for the, the, the inheritance that I have in that because I feel like Jim did a great job of walking that out with us. But what I was going to say is Jim helped me when we were trying to wrestle with the difference between potential and promise. And that's something I just want to say to you because I, I remember talking about you specifically. I remember, remember whenever Jim came with us, we came over and we did a night in Columbus together. And I think it was Jim and Jasmine and, and me and we came over and I have pictures in the basement someplace, you know, I was just thinking about and, and just like how powerful it was because like we were coming together as family to be with family and what you were seeing happen. And, um, that may have been the night we had the cool, crazy baptism, um, of the girl. Yeah. And it was just like such a place of generational momentum happening in those moments. Right. Um, and so now that he's moved on, but the thing that we talked about was like potential can be a weighty word. People, a lot of times in the church, it's like, oh man, you have so much potential in your life. And that becomes like this anchor of when will you measure up to your potential? Mm. I think that Jim had a way of communicating promise without putting the weight of potential on people. Wow. He had a, a way of communicating, man, I see this in your life in a way that was never about weighing someone down because you're going to be the next so-and-so. You know, it was like, I see what you're... So yeah, he spoke, he didn't just speak, uh, you know, evangelistically about things. You know, he spoke what he believed was true. He spoke what he believed was right. And sometimes, especially as he got older, sometimes the, the, the facts would get a little bit jumbled. Um, I just but it was prophecy. Yeah, but I was going to say, like, that's what, that's what we ended up doing is just feeling like, man, like, we know his heart. We trust the integrity of his heart. He's not trying to get this wrong. But, like, he's speaking out of what he believes is, is like, God's truth over people, you know? And so I, this, there's this story that I want to tell real quick because I think whenever you were saying in the last part of this conversation... You're like, it's kind of weird. People would ask me to pray for them, lay hands on them about raising the dead. But I think even in, in that, like to connect that back into like what we're talking about now, I remember having conversations with Jim. Like we were, we were both really com- convinced. And one of the places we connected was like what God was doing in this next generation. And I remember telling him, you know, like I had a, I had a dream before we were pregnant um, of a time, you know, when actually whenever my kids would be around the time that Abby, age that Abby is now. And they were like driving home after a football game and they would come along on the scene of an accident and they would see someone who was dead. And in the same way that I had learned to like, hey, oh, there's somebody with a broken leg. Let's see what God wants to do. Like they would have that view of like raising the dead in the same way that I had learned of like, you know, I think God wants to show up. Let's just see what would happen. And we had seen deaf ears open. We had seen you know, broken bones healed. We'd seen all these different, you'd see cancer leave. We'd see all these different miracles. But still raising the dead almost felt like this next level kind of thing. 
you know? And so we, we prayed into it. We talked about it. We like, man, this is what we believe. This is where we're headed. This is where we're, we're going. So probably like three or four years before I met you, we're, we're still in Elwood city. And, uh, we had been a part of like uh, pointing a scroll to Jesus. She accepted Jesus and she was pregnant, but she had come out of a pretty, um, hard lifestyle, a lot of drugs. And so the baby was born. She looked so happy, but the baby was just like, I don't even know if the baby was even a month old whenever the baby passed away. Um, but Tiffany had experienced enough of God's power and he knew he was real, right? So we're at the funeral and Tiffany goes over, grabs the baby out of the casket and hands the baby to me and says, here, do something. And I didn't know what to do. And I prayed, but I prayed like, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble because I'm holding a dead corpse. Like, you know, I'm like thinking well, all the things that are gonna be, I'm getting in trouble with the, the, the funeral home director. And like, there was faith to pray, but I was more aware of like, she has more faith for this than I do right now. And so after a minute of praying, I put the baby back in the casket. And I remember thinking like, I don't ever want to be in that position again. I want to be ready. And so we would pray. And 2007, we were in the midst of a crazy thing happening with our friend Lee. He would, um, like the, the week that this testimony happens, like he just lost his leg to cancer. And Lee was one of our guys we were running with at the time. Probably the first pun to ever said, oh, like you're like a spiritual dad to me, you know? And so we're seeing miracles happen. We're seeing people come to Jesus. And we're down at, um, in Tennessee for this thing. And uh, we're driving home from the call in Nashville and we come up on a car accident and, and we go, um, and I go to run. I mean, we had like the third car in on this car accident and we run, like I start to run to the car, like the, this drunk driver had come across the road, nailed this car, the, the, the car that got hit ended up upside down in the ditch and I'm running to go down and see if I can do something to help. And the drunk driver reaches out and grabs me on the way by. At that point in time, there's like the two cars in front of me running down to the ditch. There's other people running down to the ditch. And I turn to look and I'm like, I guess I should It's probably dangerous. So I stayed there, but I'm kind of cool, you know, because I'm full of faith. I'm ready to go do something. I don't know the situation. I get the paramedics get there and it's taken a long time. I was like, hey, what's going on? I was like, hey, we, we lost them. And, um, this described like the bone, the neck bone, like sticking out of my skin. And, and I remember going back to the car after that was all over. And like, we're kind of like, you know, this is heavy and Adrian, she's like, well, let's pray. And we started to pray. And like, I did, like, it didn't feel like this big moment of faith, but I remembered that time I'm holding this baby, right? I'm not going to do that again. And we pray. And like, it's like an hour later. I'm like, what's going on? You know? And the same paramedic comes back by and, and he, I was like, Hey, what's happened? I thought, you know, and they're like, we don't know what happened, but they're awake, <laughs> you know? And it's like, at the time it wasn't like that. I went down and I did this thing, but like, we believed like, man, we just saw this happen. And it was like incremental. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, we saw this thing, we had faith. And then like the next day we're like, did that really happen? Did that really happen? And so I just feel like whenever you would have those encounters and you're talking about people coming and asking you, to me, that feels normal and natural. I know it kind of weird because like you're not going to run. But it's like whenever I look back at Jim, whenever I felt almost childish when I first told Jim about the dream of like my kids coming up on a car accident and that being normal. 
But I feel like the, the role of a father or a grandfather is like, they're there to like believe with you for the things that you don't know. If, like, yes, I have this word. I don't know, actually sure. And so by the time that like you're seeing the things happen that you're seeing happening or other people that we're walking with are seeing like these crazy miracles happen, it's like, well, yeah, that's what we've been praying for. That's what we've been believing for. And there's something when you, and I think that's, I don't want to just say that's the position of spiritual grandpa or spiritual father. That was something in Jim's life. He had seen God moved and he trusted God. He trusted his character. A lot of the same things I see in you. Like you have had all these different seasons of your life, but there's these moments of faith where you've decided to trust God's character. And that's really powerful. But I think that God brings people into our lives that can see what we can't see and have a vantage point that we don't have and to speak into that. And so I think that's the power that's really good. of like, in the, like that story for, for Jim, I think that in, in, in a way that fits into the Elijah, Elisha picture, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob picture, like it doesn't matter. Like where am I out on the family tree? I don't know. I don't care. It's like, I'm the next one right now. I'm the one that's, I'm running a race right now. And hopefully I'm helping the next generation who are, who are running the race behind me. And I definitely look back and see the people that God has put into my life to help me position to be, you know, involved in the journey I'm now. And we don't know how long this journey goes. But I do know this. I have faith that like your children's children will be further into this than we are. You know, whenever I was growing up, his idea, it was almost the idea it was like, well, back in the book of Acts, these things happened. And if we could only get back to the book of Acts, and that's like Acts is not the finish line. Actually, Acts is not the target. It was the starting line. You know, like like we have been given Jesus to follow. And, and believe that like his kingdom is increasing. And so just to see that generational momentum take place, what you're doing right now, you know, like last night being in the room with those families was exciting, but being in the room with those kids that are like just learning how to walk and talk, like if they grow up with a place where seeking the Lord is normal, you didn't know how to seek the Lord. <laughs> you like had encounters with them and didn't know, how to, like, but like your kids will grow up seeking the Lord is normal. They'll be fluent in it. It's their native tongue. So the things that we'll be able to grow from in there, and they won't have it, you know. It's kind of like, I think every generation will have another thing, like this is the thing we have to cross. This is the place we have to cross. But by God's grace, they're not going to they're not to go through and do the same things we have, right? Because like we will, we will be faithful with what God's entrusted to us. We will deal with the things that are coming up now in a way that the next generation can keep moving. And I believe that's how we get to a church that's described in the, in the New Testament. That's how we get to a church like, what does it look like for your kids to, like, would it be great if Sophia's you know, kids were like, wait, the church wasn't always known for loving each other? You know, like, the church used to, like, fight? What? Like, but that's what Jesus said. It's like, there's a day whenever the world will recognize us by the way we love each other. That's not a question or a possibility. Like, it's going to happen. I believe it will happen in this region. It'll happen in this nation. It'll happen in the, this generation. Yeah. But if I don't see that with my own eyes, can I leave the next generation better poised to see that happen? Can I, can I sow in my life a way to believe that this is what we're giving ourselves to because we know this is God's, God's word. This, this, is, this will happen. This will come to pass. We will see it take place. And I think that if I see that, if I have to have all the pressure for how do I do that in the next five years, that's so different than if I say, God, I know that you're going to do this. How do I serve? How do I be present in this moment? And then how do I serve the next generation or those who are coming after me so they'll be positioned to see your faithfulness, to see your promises. The stone pile in coming across the Jordan, the stone pile wasn't for those people. It was for their children. So like, when build, go get those 12 stones. Send a man from each tribe to go get that so your children will remember. So your children will remember something they didn't see. That's what's given to us right now, is to be faithful to things that we see happening in our friendship, in our relationship. You have, you have memories of Grandpa Jim. Most people that we have in our, 
our life right now that are a part of our spiritual family, they came around after Grandpa Jim. But you have testimonies, right? And um, you have stories. You have, you have like received a part of that like, you know, relational inheritance, you know. And I want to make that seem like this weird spiritual thing. It's like, but in the same way that whenever I talked to Eric Johnson, he had six or seven generations of preachers in his family. That wasn't my story, but my story's still beautiful. How do I make the best out of like the, the situation that we're in? How do I like steward this opportunity to see increase in the next generation? In the same way, how beautiful would it be if we didn't think that back, to, you know, what God was doing with Smith Wigglesworth was the, the greatest thing, you know, and hanging out with his great granddaughter and his great, great grandson recognizing they're not looking back and thinking if we could only get back to that. They're looking and saying, man, what did grandpa's life do that we can run with now? Like, well, how, how did what he do? How do we get to see more happen today? And it's happening, you know? And so I think that we, we honor the past, we honor those generations before us, and then we serve the generations that are coming after us. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. And, and for those listening that, you know, they might be the first. And mm-hmm. it's like, you can start that momentum. You can start that. And God can redeem time even. Absolutely. Even generations of nothing. He can, in one generation, get you get your line back to where it needs to be start to do amazing things. Um, well, we're, we're going to close this out. Um, I do want to ask you, uh, just to take two minutes and just speak to the audience, speak to if, if the whole world was listening right now, just whatever's on your heart, two minutes I'm putting you on the spot on purpose. Um, you can speak about who Jesus is to you or something you're learning this season, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, thanks for putting me on the spot. Uh, I I think the, the biggest thing, that's on my heart right now is just the recognizing uh, if I look at Brad 20 years ago, when I was 28 and how much I really wanted to make an impact for Jesus. I think there was something really beautiful about that. And I want to, in the same way we we're talking about with Jonathan Edwards, like I don't think his grandpa just had like bad intentions, but like Jonathan Edwards was able to look and say like, Hey, I need to do something different than that in order to honor God. I recognize there's something beautiful about the S in my heart for Jesus at that point in time. And at the same time, I'm so grateful because over those next few years, I began to see that my life was really built around being successful as a Christian in ministry and how little my life looked like Jesus and how almost that wasn't even like the reference point. I was looking at great leaders who were godly men and women, but that's who I would look like. Oh, does my message sound enough like so-and-so? You know, and I'd have... I would recognize that if I were listening to a Bill Johnson message, I would sound like Bill Johnson. If I was listening to Randy Clark, I'd sound like Randy Clark. If I was listening to Floyd McClung, I'd sound like Floyd McClung. And finally, if like the Lord was just saying, like, you need to fast because I want you to get to be who you are, not try to be somebody else. Um, but in that process, just like, I don't know, this just feels like this should be the kindergarten or the preschool of every, for everyone. But, you know, I'm 30 now, 31 at that point in time and recognizing I got to start looking at the life of Jesus. And I just begin to like devour the gospels and looking for like, what does Jesus have to say about this? And, and Ryan, that has led me to so many places. Like continues, that continues to inform, like sometimes I feel like I have the right idea and I feel very principled in why I think a certain way on a certain topic or a certain relationship. And if I just say, Jesus, would you reveal to me like what your heart is in this? And I, you know, listen to the Holy Spirit, but I just begin to look in the scriptures for like, what are stories that would relate to this moment? I'm often so surprised by how my well-developed Christian idea doesn't look like the Christ. And so I just think that, you know, if someone's listening to Fire Podcast, 
Um, I think it's because they want a real encounter with God. They want to live a real encounter with God. It's not, you know, someone who's uh, doing it because of a, they're, they're interested in the philosophical approach that you're, you're selling or peddling. They're like, they, they, they want a real encounter with Jesus. And probably because they want their life to become a way that others have a real encounter with Jesus. And, and so I would, just, I would just say that I think the, the greatest way that we can ensure that we live in that encounter with him and that our life becomes an encounter with him is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and making sure that like just from the day to day, that doesn't become like, um, I think one of my most recent thoughts on this is like, it's easy for us to build a pathway of principles that are all biblical and good and not need to actually walk in the spirit day by day. I can just lay out all these things that are really good principles and, 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 and things that are, are true, but they're not as true as walking hand in hand with Jesus. And so I think Jim, <laughs> interestingly enough, we can f- finish with this. Like Jim used to pray uh, this prayer that he taught me. And, you know, for me, he's just a hero. And he would say, Jesus made me hungrier for you today than I was yesterday. When I wake up tomorrow, give me the courage to pray it again. And I think that, like, my words may be a little bit different than that, but I think that's still the goal. It's like, if I think that, you know, at any point in time I've reached, I've reached it, I've, I've now entered into the apex of, of knowing God or the apex of success in life or the apex of discipleship or anything, you know, I'm deceived, you know? But, like, there's always an opportunity for us to know him more. And so I, I would say to whoever's listening, is like, never think you've come to the end of God. We are changed to become more like him as we behold him, as we look at him. And if I live to be 500 years old, I'll not come to the end of God, right? It's just a matter of like his ongoing, the revelation of his ongoing goodness and his ongoing godness (laughs) that allows my life to get transformed in a way that is not discouraging because I'm not there yet, but it's encouraging because like there's life today whenever I make space for that and there will be for every one of tomorrow's. Um, so yeah, look at Jesus and walk with him until our life looks like him. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. For, Thank you. I love you. Yeah, no, hopefully, uh, when I go to edit this, there's no <laughs> technical difficulties didn't ruin it. Um, but guys, sorry if you've made it this far and there were any, uh, thank you for keeping, continuing to listen. Um, so how can people follow you and keep up with yeah. you? Yeah, the best way to do that right now is just head to bradmccoy.com and that'll give uh, access to um, things that we're currently doing. There's a couple different um, things that are really important to us. We have um, the church that we planted in Grove City that was meant to be a mission-based. It's kind of like where that vision is how we connected with like with you and um, it's called AOX. And so there, there's connections there. And also um, I get a you know opportunity to serve uh, the Southeast Asia Prayer Center and U.S. missions, and so there's information about what's happening uh, there. But I think that if the area specifically we talked about in the second episode um, of uh, just about discipleship and, and walking with people, there's a resource, a free resource there called the Shared Life, um, and I would just encourage people to if, if what this is talking about resonates, um, there's some really practical things in that uh, that I would love to invite people to to get a hold of. So that's BradMcCoy.com. Thank you, man. I, really, I love you. I love what God's doing um, with you and your family. I love what God's doing uh, in the, as he's uh, this next season of what fire is. It's really exciting to see it. I feel super thankful 
and humbled that we got a chance to be here with you guys in this time and can't wait to see what happens next time. Yeah, same. So thankful. Thank you. Well, until next time, this has been the Fire Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fire Podcast with Ryan Rhodes. Fire Movement has a mission to bring people face-to-face with the real Jesus. If you love this show and ministry, please consider subscribing, leaving a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing the podcast with others on social media. Also, would you please consider one-time or monthly support to help us sustain and grow this show so that others can be stirred to hunger for more of the real Jesus? You can do so by going to firemovement.com support. Thank you.